0: Get down with DND. Yeah you
1: know
0: me. Get down with DND. Yeah you know me. Get down with DND. Yeah, you know Who's down with DND. Yeah you know me. Get down with DND. Yeah you know me. I'm down with DND. Yeah you know me. Who's down with DND. Are you ready to get down with some DND? I know why I am. I'm joined as I am always joined by the modest, mature and merry and also hatted. Bad Wizard Murum, What is up, Sean?
1: It's a little chilly in my home right now, so I have my D&D cap on to keep my rapidly balding head warm. D&D cap? There must be, like, D&D merch for everything these days. Because why not, right? There, Why why not? I would buy it all. Buy it all. Just buy it all. Mm-hmm. Be your D&D decked-out self.
0: That's right. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's talk about some announcements. So, there was a great pair of articles on downtime from Teos Abadia.
1: Mm-hmm. You know him maybe as Alpha Stream, mm-hmm. and he has two articles. One is a little uh, older. It's a couple of weeks old, and then the newest one is, is pretty new, and it talks all about downtime. So the first one, he talks about how downtime is an engine to open up your game and empower your characters to do various things, like pursue their individual or collective goals, secure information or resources, um, influence, bolster, or hinder other organizations rather than their party, uh, create or expand the base of operation, step away from the scripted feel if you're running published adventures, and shine a light on their backstory and their offstage narratives. And so, you know, it's a good tool that people can use. And you can use them in just a few minutes, he says. Uh, It doesn't have to be a long time. But you can take a long time and really get into some cinematic vignettes or even full-on like role-playing sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and downtime is one of those rare cases where the supplements have gone way, way, way beyond what the Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide offered.
0: Because once again, um, a D&D design didn't really understand how to utilize a thing that they had created or at least present it in a way that was usable.
1: Right, and so downtime, as as given in the Player's Handbook and Dungeon Master's Guide, is fine. You can get away with just using that. But it has improved drastically. Um, if you look at Xanathar's Guide to Everything and the Acquisitions Incorporated book, uh, those two sources give you new ways. They've expanded the rules, not just in what you can do with it, but how you can do so. Uh, you can, for example, deal with rival organizations or get complications based on your downtime activities run a business maintain a base of operations and so on so uh teos's article articles first explore how to use those downtime days and then give a great list of activities uh that are available via these books it's really a quite
0: good list and It's what the um, downtime rules needed to be usable, these other books and and their uh, examples, really. And then the uh, expanding on how the the mechanics of those things work.
1: Yep. And, I mean, what I love about it is you can really do two equal but opposite things. If you have a group or or a player or a group of players who are super game-focused and don't really get into the role-playing, you can use downtime days as a mechanical way to enhance role-playing and bring them slowly into the role-playing mindset. So what are we talking Um, about when we're talking about role-playing here? Well, when, when I, when I, things that are like outside of just their character sheet and what the immediate goal of their character. So, you know, some players are always focused on their character sheet and only looking at what, what their characters can do mechanically. And when it comes to role playing, they feel awkward when they have to actually step into the role of their character. You know what are your what's your character's backstory? What are your character's goals outside of getting a plus one shield? Yes,
0: yeah, so they're right. not engaging with the story part; they're just engaging with the mechanical part. They're, right. they're not engaging so, with them, and I shouldn't say that they're not engaging with their own character's story,
1: right? Or you know what their character would actually want, and how, how would they go about doing doing that? And Because some players are more comfortable focusing on the rules rather than on the story or any sort of personality for their character beyond just what they can do mechanically. So what downtime can do is it can give them that mechanical framework, but also bring into the mechanics this more narrative thing. So you have this downtime. You have these resources that you could spend. Okay, that's a rule. I understand resources and spending them. What do you want to do with those? And there are dice rolls involved and whether you succeed at finding the information about the next uh, dungeon that you're going into. Mm -hmm. So you can slowly bring in more of a story-based uh, direction for your game, while still having some mechanics around it that the players might be more comfortable with. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, makes perfect sense. I okay. just wanted and to prompt on the other you side. because I wanted it to be, yeah. be more well defined, right? And and I tried. So, but then on the other side of the coin, you may have players that are pure role players, right? They they are less focused on the rules and more focused on just what their character sees and says and thinks and does. And sometimes it's hard to get those players to actually understand the rules of the game you know, as, as a mechanical system. Mm-hmm. And so what downtime can do for them is you can say, hey, what do you want to your character to do? And they could spend a half hour telling you exactly how and what they say and what they feel. You can then gamify that a little bit more using downtime to, okay, that's great. So here's what that means in terms of the rules. You want to do these things, you spend this many downtime days, and you make this check or these series of checks to see how that goes.
0: I and mean, we could do a whole new episode on downtime and the ways to use it yes. because I have uh, a number of thoughts of how the the, the Dungeon Master can actually enhance these ideas so that they actually get utilized they're um we're not yep. depending on the player to to do the work because that's usually not how that works because you need you need both yeah. sides of it to work
1: exactly and so uh we don't have to do a whole a whole show on it because Teos has these two great articles um that gives a lot of the advice that that you and i would probably yeah give. okay go go read them Yep, and there are a link in the show notes, or you can just go to alphastream.org, and uh, there's a list of all of his blog posts there, including those, too. Uh,
0: we'll quickly touch on the second one. Uh, so Keith mm-hmm. Baker, he put out a blog post on Rising from the Last War. That is a uh, overview of what's in the book, for those who have been fans. So it's yep. uh, set in the default time period that it's always been set in, 998YK. That's uh, three years after the or four years after the last war, two years after the Treaty of Thornhold has been signed. Mm-hmm. Um, It does take a much deeper look at the consequences of that timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gazetteer section has the impact of the last war on each of those nations, which is pretty fascinating.
1: Yep. And I love how the year 998 kind of reinforces the idea of the war is over and there's hope, but we're about to turn a corner, right? You're about to go to 1,000. So it's like Y2K. Mm-hmm. It's like there's hope, but then there's this impending doom uh just in the year itself.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting too because when you think about the setting itself, this this hope and this impending doom, like there was essentially just a nuclear attack on one of the mm-hmm. countries and right. No, I don't know if anybody's going to want to start up the war again in case somebody else can drop another nuclear attack on a different country, you know. That's it's yep. kind of the, the situation that we're in, so it's like a holding pattern. Yeah. Um and it probably so, it'll probably persist. It'll probably turn into a cold war at this point.
1: Yeah, that's that's the hope. Yeah. I mean the, the best hope is there's tension but no war. Mm-hmm. But you know, what Keith does in this article is just give a brief overview based on his experiences being the creator uh, of the of the world. You know, what's changed for the fifth edition and in this book. Um so he talks about the the more Dwarves uh, information being expanded. The races are pretty much the same as previous editions, but with a new 5e look. Dragon marks are now sub-races uh, rather than feats, as they have been in previous editions. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mournland is less codified. What happens within it? It's less predictable. And then there's been a 5e update for all the monsters. Yeah, there's a bunch of new and stuff then, now
0: too. There's the, the there's, there's the Artificer class for fifth edition, which is now ex- exists. Yep. Uh, There's some rules about group patrons, so that's like a background for everybody, which is pretty neat. Mm -hmm.
1: There's the Warforge Colossus, and there's a lot of scary monsters. Yep, a lot of new 5e monsters, especially on things like the Dalkir, have been updated and expanded to make them more an essential part of the setting Uh and a bigger threat. There's
0: one new one
1: that's been wholly defined in there. Mm Mm-hmm. So, anyway, Keith you know, probably will be updating his blog more frequently now that this is out, talking about the things he's working on to supplement um, the work that he's already done. Yeah, because
0: here. there's like two or three books coming out in the next two or three months.
1: Yeah. Now, they're not Wizards no, published books. No, uh, they're Keith Baker books. They're Keith Baker books that will be on the DMs mm-hmm. Guild.
0: All right, let's get into our main topic for the day. Descent Part 5, El has fallen, and we're going to uh, cover from the, S- the Grand Cemetery on... So that's mm-hmm. the rest of this chapter, actually.
1: The rest of chapter right. two. Indeed. Let's recap
0: up. So there's a giant smoking crater where Elterell used to be, and Eltrel has been dragged down to hell. There are a bunch of refugees flooding into Baldur's Gate, and uh, Grand Duke Alder Ravengard is missing. This is from the beginning. Uh, presumed to be in the city of Elterell when it was taken. So that is our like our starting spot. We've gone through all of the stuff in Baldur's Gate that all happened. Um, mm-hmm. Then you get into Elturel, and you learn that the city is being very slowly dragged into the river Styx-by-Chains. The companion has turned into a horrible dark void. The city has a a bunch of survivors, and it's not been completely overrun by demons or devils yet. And you end up going to the High Hall. You uh, find survivors there. You meet uh, a—I forget her Faria is her name, their name. I forget if it's a he or she.
1: Yeah, Faria Jinx. Yeah, Faria
0: Jinx. Uh, she tells you that Alder Ravengard left the High Hall, because that's who you've been looking for, with a uh, retinue of warriors to deal with some rumored demon incursion in the Grand Cemetery, and also some mm-hmm. other things, like looking for answers to what's going on here. Yep. All right, so let's get into it. Okay. Uh, I-, I got a little commentary on the book so far. I think I've gotten the flow okay, flow cool. of kind of how this book was written. So every section, okay. it seems like you get a bit of background on what's going on. Um, there's mm-hmm. an, the overall setting of what is what the area that you're going to be adventuring in and around. Then it goes into the specific areas, and then there's some sidebars interspersed, which I feel is very mm-hmm. effective at presenting the information and giving a good flow for reading.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It it kind of gives the DM what the DM needs um, in in sort of a reverse pyramid thing, right? You start with this general, and then you funnel down into the specifics uh so they could read the background and create their own adventure mm-hmm. because they know what the overall goals are the overall setting is and then you know you get down into specifics and then the sidebars are there to kind of help new or um, even experienced dms get a feel for what is how to do what is supposed to be done yeah there.
0: absolutely mm-hmm. so the goal of this section the grand cemetery is to find a uh, duke raven older raven mm-hmm. so to go with the the what was just presented like there's like background and and all that good stuff there's a, a gentleman named Gideon Lightward who was a devoted priest of Lathander that worked in this in this uh the chapel here in, 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 in and around the cemetery who was corrupted mm-hmm. by Zariel and now is undead still wants to kill demons and uh if you look at the stat block can't be killed without radiant energy because this uh Gideon Lightward just keeps regenerating health even mm-hmm. if you kill it yep
1: yep so he is sort of the keeper of the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has been turned into this creature um who could be fought but also could become a an sort ally of, of the adventures, kind of. maybe. <laughs> uh depending on how they want to tackle uh-huh. things. Um so there are there's more than one path through this basically. Yeah,
0: so that's uh that, that's the first thing that is going on here, the first obstacle instead of obstacles to deal with. The second thing is that there's mm-hmm. a demon portal, so there was a—I uh, forget their name—but they were working to make some sort of connection with uh, Torm. They're a priest of Torm, yep. and they did make a connection. But as soon as Alterel was dragged into Hell, Bahamut hacked a back door using that portal into the into uh, into Avernus, and now is slowly working to widen that portal to let a demon army into Avernus. So mm-hmm. this is
1: this is a second way to get in, aside from the River Styx, right, John? Right, and it's not a fully functional portal yet. Uh, Demon slips through every now and then, but it is rapidly opening um, until an army could pour through. Mm-hmm. And then
0: Duke Alder Ravengard is here looking for information or trying to figure out what's going on. So those are our three, mm-hmm. I guess, themes or angles or or things that are going on here in the cemetery. Yep. So the cemetery itself, when you get there, this is kind of the first thing you see when you walk up. There's a lot of harmless undead, and I put that in quotation marks. They're kind of wandering mm-hmm. around because Gideon could organize them against the city if left unchecked. Now, the player characters mm-hmm. don't necessarily know that to begin with, but that is a that that is one of the setting pieces that is going on here.
1: Right, and it's important to remember that Gideon does not necessarily want to use them against the city because he is only concerned with That's demons. true. Uh, in a zealot. Um,
0: zealotus like way and is very devoted to zariel at this point Mm -hmm. now uh when you walk up to the chapel which is in the uh inside of the cemetery you get attacked by minotaur skeletons now in the book it tells you that gideon used the power of the companion to strip them of their flesh and turn them into skeletons but they were really sent here through the portal
1: yep they were sent by baphomet They ran into Gideon. Gideon killed them and turned them into minotaur skeletons. Now, like, you
0: don't know any of this as a player character to start with, but this is a nice intersection of Baphomet and Gideon. It's a nice context clue to what's going on. Like, Like, why
1: is there minotaur skeletons here? Yep, and I like that we see a lot of these context clues, and you really, as you're DMing this, you want to pay attention to that. And if you have players that are clueless in terms of context clues or... Kind of getting the background of things. Try to slow down, and point them to like the statues they're going to mm-hmm. see, or the murals, or the stained glass windows, because all of these hold clues to things that are going to come yeah. later.
0: It's also not super important for them to figure it out because they'll get told it at some point if they don't figure it out, and it's not imperative to the adventure to understand that stuff.
1: It, but it can make some of the encounters more it, interesting. It can, or or easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, if you, if they do. So the uh, the first encounter area
0: after this is the Walk of Bravery. Now, it's important to mention this because there's a bit of a disconnect, in my opinion, in the text and in the map. Mm-hmm. So there, there are seven pillars on the map, and it says that mm-hmm. there are a number of heroes uh, depicted on these pillars. But it doesn't right. mention, like, if there's more than one hero depicted on a pillar or whatnot, and there's ten heroes named. Also, mm-hmm. if you move farther into the text, it says that, if anybody disturbs the pillars, uh, eight incorporeal un- undead are inside them, and they're hollowed out. Now, there's only seven pillars. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not a far stretch to say that there's two un- cor- incorporeal undead inside of one pillar, but it's just it's right. just kind of confusing.
1: Yeah. the 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 uh, the text assumes that there are ten pillars uh, because there are ten heroes depicted on uh-huh. pillars. But the
0: map there's only seven. Uh,
1: the map there's only seven, and then it says there are eight undead inside the pillars. Mm-hmm. The, the text again, assuming that there's 10 pillars. So so, so Just add some pillars or... Put two heroes you know, on a pillar? On some sure. of the pillars? You, you, yep. Just a small thing to be aware So, of.
0: I like the ideas here, though. This is a neat little encounter because if you de- decipher that there are heroes on these pillars and their names, you can use their names to invoke them and they become uh, emitters of radiant energy. And...
1: And guess and guess why that's important. Because
0: if you don't have radiant energy in the party, that's how you kill Gideon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's nice. It, it works pretty well. So a uh, solid, right. solid little design right there. I like that a lot. I wish the the wording was a little bit more. I don't know, less confusing. I don't think it's p- yeah. super problematic, but it, it could be confusing. Sure. Uh, the next area is the Chapel of Light. There, uh, it's an encounter with some more minotaur skeletons. I, I like the encounter because the minotaurs aren't just trying to kill the characters; they're trying to knock them through windows, which could cause more damage. So there's like they're doing something other than just beating on you,
1: so mm-hmm. that's kind of yep. fun. Yep. So, sta- lots of stained glass in this in this chapel. Um, to be yeah, aware get of.
0: your uh, get your Catholic Church, uh, eyes on because th- this is what this is. It's mm-hmm. essentially a Catholic church. It looks like that. There you go. If you've ever been to a Catholic church, there's lots of stained glass and whatnot.
1: Right, a big, a big cathedral.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's the Chapel of Mourning, which is a smaller one. I like this a lot because you can go in there, and if you pray, you get rewarded with a plus-two weapon. It just kind of, like, pops up is if, you, if you do the thing. And I'm sort of digging the theme that's going on here. Like, if you know stuff or do stuff, you get rewarded, especially if it's not terrible.
1: Yep. I, I want to go back to the Chapel of Light for just sure. a second. So there's a stained glass window that has fallen out and cracked, but not broken. Uh, it is important. So it's lying yep. on the floor. And so this is, I like this sort of design where there's going to be a huge magical, well, it's non-magical, but there's a huge item, right? A huge MacGuffin um, that the characters are going to, to interact with. Rather than just say, they see it, here's the MacGuffin, and then drop this huge backstory about it. There are clues along the way to what this thing mm-hmm. is, and this is the first clue. The stained glass window shows a scene uh, of a hero being awarded a helm. Yep, that is a... And so with an intelligence or history or religion check, a character can say, oh, yeah, that's uh, this, this, uh, this hero, uh, Lannish Fogel, is getting the, this helm because he served Torm in El Also ties back to the pillars outside. Exactly. Exactly. So you can kind of see this progressing story, that you can give it in pieces rather than just a huge info dump mm-hmm. later. It's really nice. Uh, and even if there's an info dump later, people are like, "Oh
0: yeah, we saw that thing. Oh yeah, we saw right. that thing." Mm-hmm. Um, the next is the the vestment chamber. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit before we get to this. What we've gotten so far, we've gotten a fight with some minotaurs uh, mm-hmm. outside. We've gotten the walk of bravery, which is like a little bit of an exploration. like these are interesting pillars, right? And then maybe you get into another fight with the undead that are inside them. Then there's another fight with the the monitors. So We've had like three beats of fighting and a beat of a couple of beats of exploration in there or intera- with, without any interaction. Now we get mm-hmm. to the vestment chamber. We've had like these one-on-one fights constantly. and I'm going to stop you for just a second. Did you talk about the chapel morning? Oh yeah, I forgot about the chapel of morning. The chapel of morning is the one where you can like explore and then pray and then get the plus two weapon. Yeah, we did talk okay, about cool. that. So um, okay. we've had a nice variety of of p- potential beats, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the vestment chamber is is where things really pick up because we get into a three sided battle with uh, demons, devils, and the player characters. Because the the devils are there, the demon, and this is where Gideon could be if he's been warned at this point, which he may mm-hmm. have been warned at this point. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the fight goes on, and after the fight, then Gideon wants to talk. And even if Gideon's not here, he'll hear it and then come up and talk. And now we have uh, an interaction. And Gideon's rather interesting because Zealotus uh, hates demons, so may work with the player characters. Also, let older Ravenguard Guard buy earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh. So it's a. I think this is a fun. Encounter, where you can actually get to talk to the, to the bad guy. And if player characters want to fight, throw it out with them.
1: they can. But they don't have to. Yep. And if you're DMing this, make sure you make it clear that there are demons fighting devils. And the devils completely ignore the characters, mm-hmm. even if the characters attack them, focusing all their energy on the demons. And if you make that clear, then hopefully the players will figure out, okay, maybe we don't have to fight, at least at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but sometimes players are a little thick. They, they can be. So. I mean, you can make it
0: way more clear by the, the, yeah. the devil's actually saying, kill the demons, kill the demons. Then we'll deal with the, the humans, you know, or yep. them. Yeah. You know, and if they uh, help, maybe like or you have Gideon. If you have, you have Gideon show up in the middle and be like, murder the demons, you know, whatever yep. you want to do.
1: If you have to hit them with the clue by four, sometimes you have to. Yeah
0: yeah hit them with a clue by four um, after that is Gideon's quarters. you might find Gideon here, but regardless uh Gideon's journalist is here, and this is the testament of a madman. Uh, if you read it, you can get some surface uh stuff like take ten minutes to to take a look over it and like understand a little bit of what Gideon was doing. But if you read it too deeply, you become cursed by the book, and it will cause you mm-hmm. psychic damage if you don't attack a demon when they're within sixty feet of you,
1: right. So this shows the corruption of not just Gideon, but like the entire city over time by Mm Zaria. She has essentially driven him mad with a hatred of demons um, until to the point where he switched over to serve her and uh, became undead.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, After that, there's a... I want to mention the undead pit because the undead pit is... It, the reason it's there is it's like, oh, where did all these undead come from, right? Like, is this person just raising them all? No. There's a pit with a bunch of mist in it, and that, in that mist is a piece of the companion which is creating the mist, and by throwing a body in there, it'll come out as an undead an hour later. And it's like a random chart mm-hmm. port and everything, and it will hurt the yep. player characters, and it's neat because like it's something to, like, what is this weird thing that's in the middle of this place? Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, the next most interesting thing is the ossory of the faithful, so... This is a hazard, and we hadn't seen one yet, so it's worth mentioning. The holy symbols in the ossory are corrupted. Now, if someone touches one or anyone lingers in here for too long, they say a minute, there's a pulse of necrotic energy that can damage them. Uh, Once again, Sean, like you said, it's just showing the corruption of the city over and over again.
1: Right. Yeah, and we've seen this throughout. There's been this theme of it's a holy thing that is slowly being corrupted, so it's almost like a dual uh, mm-hmm. Thing and that's important later because when they find older later, that's going to be shown in vivid detail right in yep. front of them.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: So keep hitting that, reinforcing that theme of of slow but inevitable corruption. Yep.
0: Then uh, in area G nine, which is another ossuary, there's a there's an invisible closet. Well, I mean, at least it's not a nymph, right? I mean, we've...
1: well, because it's got to be a demon. Yeah. So, so it's a closet. so
0: there's a throwdown in here, and if you catch the closet, you can learn about Baphomet's plan and what Baphomet is doing from the closet. So that's that's always fun. Like, there's information to be gained.
1: Yep, and that it it, it uh, helps reinforce the theme of don't just kill everything. Talk mm-hmm. to things. Uh, you might learn that's something. Right. And I just want a, a side note on we we keep saying the ossuary. Uh, An ossuary is a place where they put the bones of the dead. So if you think of like the catacombs beneath Paris, that sort of thing, uh, this whole basement in this in this chapel, this cathedral is lined with bones. And it is all about uh, taking the dead and honoring them and giving them a, a peaceful rest,
0: which is the counter to the undead wandering around. Yes. Yeah, There's a lot of really good theming in this section of the book. So, then there's a meditation chamber. Uh, the reason I put this here is, uh, yeah,
1: or you put I this put here. This yeah. I I don't even really think I said yeah. anything about this. Yeah, no. There, there's a meditation chamber um, where they can, you know, do, make a check and learn what it was used for. But I, do something cool with it here. Um, you know, even if it's as simple as giving inspiration if characters pray, because uh, it's a these the the priests that worked here were dealing with dead day in and day out, right? They were taking the bones of the dead and and burying them or putting them up here, performing rites. And you would imagine that would get pretty grim after mm-hmm. a while. So this was kind of a place where they can come and, and rest their mind and be at peace. Uh, so use that in a mechanical way, possibly. Yeah. You know, if it's just they have a blessed spell for an hour, uh, you know, they have inspiration something, Where, if the players role play it out, right, if they take the time to get into it, reward them for it.
0: I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Although, Mm -hmm. hopefully, they don't wait, they don't take an hour because, you know, there's bad things going on. No, no. No, I mean, for an hour, they can be. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely. I I, I, I got you. I'm smelling what you're laying down or cooking, not to mix metaphors. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right. So then there's this Vault of Honor. So this is the vault that once had the helm of Torm inside, uh, Torm site inside it. Well, we haven't really mentioned It's the MacGuffin that Sean mentioned earlier. It's a, it's a helm. It's Torm's. Uh, it's also got a statue of Lannish Fogel. So this is another one of those chances to recognize one of the hero's names, and then you can utilize that if you need to later uh, to once again go upstairs and activate that statue. And it also keeps continually telling the story of this helm
1: in Lannish. Right, Sean? Yep and and if you when the characters look at the statue there's a there's a you know the statue's there but it's missing a piece because the statue is supposed to wear the actual mm-hmm. helm but the helm is missing yeah yeah so they you, the character should figure out oh my gosh this helm that's supposed to actually be resting on the statue is gone um where is it uh, and then
0: we get to the main event which is the the vault mm-hmm. of ascendance uh so there's a lot of dead bodies here in a portal to uh, to to the Abyss or somewhere. Yeah, it's to the Abyss. So, Alder mm-hmm. uh, is lying on the ground. He's got the helm on, writhing in pain. You don't know what's going on. Uh, as you're trying to figure out what's going on, a three Minotaurs pop through the portal. So, now we know that, like, well, that's a portal to somewhere bad. Uh, I... It doesn't say anything about going through the portal, though. Do you think any of the player characters would jump through that portal? I think it's a bad idea, don't you?
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would I would say that right now it's a one-way yeah, portal. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, because, remember, it's supposed to have been used just for a psychic communication between the priests of Torm and their god. Uh, so it's not supposed to have been something that you could physically go through. Uh, but Baphomet is, is digging it out, basically, to use it as a portal. And he would probably just make it a one-way portal. So... After you've dealt with the Minotaurs,
0: you found Alter. He's here, but mm-hmm. you can't take the helm off him without killing him. Essentially, yep. so don't do that. And like, maybe let the clear- right. player characters know, like if they touch the helm and start trying to remove it, he starts screaming in pain.
1: Right, and and he is he is speaking in languages that they can't understand. But if they do understand Celestial or Abyssal, that's what he's mm-hmm. speaking in. Because right now he is in contact with both Torm and Baphomet, and they are fighting each other through his mind, um, which is why he is in the state that he's in. I mean,
0: that seems like the worst situation ever for anybody, having your mental landscape be the battleground for a god and a demon lord.
1: Yeah, that that could be a problem.
0: Uh, At this point, though, it's like, well, you got him, but you don't really know what to do with him. Like, uh, mm-hmm. no spell is going to fix this. Maybe a ritual could, but you may, may or may not know it. And it's not a really yeah, good place to it, be since demons are uh, every once in a while popping out of the portal.
1: Yep. But if you are paying attention, you met Faria back in the high hall, and you might remember that she said that she's an acolyte who specializes in exorcisms. Mm-hmm.
0: And if they don't remember that, you can just remind them. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. So then you have to leave the chapel and carry Duke Older Ravengard with you, which, you know, figure it out, right? Like, the, this is the fun part of role-playing games. Uh, here's a problem. Solve
1: it. Yep. And the cool thing is, if you made a deal with Gideon, uh, and he, you know, so he lets you through without too much of a, a fight, now you're dragging this guy who's speaking some sort of strange, abyssal, celestial language. Hmm. Is he Is he possessed? Is Is he a demon? And if you don't want to fight Faria and have him turn his undead army on you, you better, I'm sorry, uh, fight Gideon. You better convince him that, no, he's not a demon. He is actually fighting demons. Yeah, that's what he's doing.
0: Just make that that really not very easy, successful uh, charisma,
1: persuasion, or deception check. You can do it. Right. And if so, then you may have to run back to the high hall being chased by an army of... Yeah, yeah, there's that. So that uh once you get ravenguard back to the high hall
0: uh you can move on to the next part which is cleansing him now mm-hmm. once you get him to feria feria and and with the player character self can s- figure out a ritual to cleanse Alder from from what's going on here and if they don't really know what's going on with Alder, feria can also tell them what's going on with older that uh that he is stuck in this combat between torm and and baphomet mm-hmm. uh we really haven't said i mean like we we've given our our opinions on that whole adventure in the chapel i actually liked it a lot like that that the cemetery i thought it was pretty solid
1: yeah i mean it gives you the chance for combat obviously but also some exploration and lots of role playing um if you want to talk with uh gideon and you know to just to learn some some background mm-hmm. about the the place so uh now we're now we're to this ritual of cleansing uh what did you
0: what do you think about this whole section? So, like, there's it It gives you a list of things that you have to do. Uh, I suppose I should just mention yep. that first. Like, you have you need an altar to Torm. Um, there's one in the in the in this building. There's uh, you need someone to recite a prayer, um, mm-hmm. a special prayer to Torm, and then you need a powerful symbol of courage and self sacrifice to empower the ritual. Those are the three
1: pieces that you need to
0: perform this ritual.
1: Right. Yeah, so it gives the characters the chance to take part in this ritual, or lead the ritual if for some reason Feria is not around. Um, and it, it turns into a combat-slash-exploration, um, almost, as you're trying to perform this ritual, but Baphomet wants to stop it. So will of the wisps emerge from the helm and try to disrupt the ritual and so it's it's a combat with a twist which i which mm-hmm. i like um it's not just straight combat there's lots of things going on and the players have to think outside the normal combat box in order to keep the will of the wisps away from the person who is powering this um ritual which is one of the pcs yeah
0: absolutely now let's talk about this again for a second because this is using an area that we've already been in right And Mm -hmm. this is a city that's under siege. So if you want to expand this out a little bit, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are devils around, there are demons in the city, and they could all come to the high, some of them could come to the high hall looking for this helm, like being drawn to it.
1: This is true. And the ritual asks the players to remember where they've been in the high hall to find the pieces that are needed by the Mm -hmm. ritual.
0: Because there's the altar,
1: Um, right? Yep. There's the altar, there's holy water, there's a, you know, a magical sword that they need, um, they
0: don't necessarily need that sword, but it's something they could use because right. there's a great it's sword of an they, unknown right. hero in age 15.
1: Yep. So there's pieces they can use of, of the high hall that they've already explored, um, which again is it reinforces the exploration part of D&D mm-hmm. that is sometimes overlooked uh, but can be used to great effect.
0: Yeah, it's also a really fun thing to take a place that you've been before and then start uh, changing it a little bit, like, well, the there were four groups of demons or devils in here before. Now, like, oh, look, there's some demons that showed up out of nowhere that are messing with the altar when you get to it or, right. you know, whatever you want to
1: create. Right. Or you know, if you want to make it role-playing, you have a 100 survivors uh-huh. down here. Uh, you could make a little game of marshalling those resources to get the things that are needed. Yep. Uh, and step outside your own character and maybe role play some commoner, um, who has been tasked with a, another group of commoners to run past an imp, uh, and get a, a sword. Mm-hmm. Right. So you could just do, you could do a lot with you, this within, within the campaign. Are you saying you turn
0: this into a game of DCC for a session where these poor commoners have to go around and get stuff and get murdered by demons and devils?
1: I think that would be awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: poor commoners. Yeah. Uh, Okay. With that said, then you assuming succeed, you break Duke Older Ravenguard out of this issue that he has, pull the helm off, and uh, you mm-hmm. have some options. Like you can have Ra- uh, Older Ravenguard tell you what he saw in his vision or you can have him pass out and have one of the player characters put on the helm and then see what is uh, yep. what Older Ravenguard saw. Right. And what Older Ravenguard saw was some of the stuff from the background at the beginning of the adventure, which is Zeriel's mm-hmm. lieutenant and Lulu with the sword fighting a, a devil. Mm-hmm. And then Zeriel burying the sword in the ground to create the citadel that is protecting the sword. There you go. Uh, Lulu also gets some memories back at this point and remembers Chukka and Clonk, which are bird folk or Kenku. And she also identifies Fort Knucklebone from that memory and then Flies up mm-hmm. to the to the top of Elturel, looks around, and knows where it is, so that you have your next place that you can go to.
1: Yep. So she thinks that if you go there, the, they may be able to help you on your quest for the Sword of Zeriel, which according to the Raven, which according to Raven Guard or the visions that the characters have, if they don the helm, um, will hold a key to um, saving. Yeah, El-Tor-El. and Lulu
0: will reinforce that. Lulu
1: will also say that. Yep. So, at this
0: point, it's time to start looking for the sword with Lulu.
1: Yep. But yet yeah, you're up on the city, high above the River <laughs> Styx, with demons and devils fighting mm-hmm. beneath you. What do you yeah. do? <laughs> also, uh, it's worth mentioning if Rhea Mantlemorn is with you, this is where
0: she decides to leave the party and stay in El and help Ravengard, which makes me a little sad.
1: Yeah. I mean, you don't have to, but it would make sense with her as a character, it does. right? She's dedicated to protecting the city um she's got the duke here who acts as an authority figure that she would naturally want to follow um you know it's just sort of a a good place to drop her off and now you're going to be seventh level so you probably need less help than you did at levels you know like two through and above. you still have lulu and you still have lulu but how do you leave the city well i mean you could climb next? down the chains that's a terrible idea yeah yeah, you you can if you can't fly or do something I mean, else. Yeah. You certainly can't jump and fall cuz then that's a big it splat is, it's, it's, it's at the bad. end or or in the river sticks which is probably yeah, the worse. Yeah, that's also
0: worse. But, by the way, let's talk about those chains for a second. So climbing on the chains uh, is problematic because there are these spikes on them that you can use them as handholds, but if you're in contact with the chains and that's even if you're wearing gloves or anything like that, like it will damage you every minute. Like you're starting to take damage. It's not a s- short climb.
1: No, it's not.
0: So that's that's probably right out. Uh, plus then there's like that whole army of demons fighting that army of devils at the bottom of them. Like mm-hmm. You can do it if you can figure out a way to do it, but it's probably the most uh, reckless and difficult way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can fly. That's
1: better. Yeah. It's probably better. You're probably still going to draw the attention of some winged uh, devils or demons, but that's it's better than falling or being in the middle of. You know, 10,000 devils. Yeah,
0: it's really up to the game master, the dungeon master, if they want to have you fight somebody if you're flying away.
1: But you know what would be the coolest thing, I don't know. What would
0: be the coolest thing, Sean?
1: Is the improvised equipment section that they
0: have. I mean, I love improvising ways
1: to get out of cities that are floating on chains. You are in a city. You have lots of resources. Um, Even if you want to take a canvas and make a parachute.
0: I mean, build, build yourself some hang gliders.
1: Yeah, something like that. And so if you're the DM, don't just allow this, encourage this, right? Maybe have one of the commoners who is in the the, the chapel. If the characters are like about to start climbing down the chains and you have the time, so, you know, have somebody say, well, you know what? I bet I could make a uh, something that would allow you to float down, whether it's like a hot air balloon or a parachute or something mm-hmm. let let those tool proficiencies that the characters might have. Really kick in here. Remind them that they might have these proficiencies. Make that something that's super important to their survival. Uh, and, you know, reinforce that, that sort of play uh, if, if it fits your group. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, and then that's, uh, that's pretty much the end of the chapter. They talk a little bit about the Battle of Elturel. I think they could have cut this section. Yeah. And said, just if you get involved with the demons and the devils, big battle at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they have to put it there in case you climb down the chain, right? Right. But it, it's a uh, it's I don't think it's very strong.
1: Yeah. It, that, this is kind of the weakest part where it either could have been cut or I wish they would have done more to help the DMs create a cool encounter if they if they go. So, I mean, there's thousands of demons fighting thousands of devils here. Um if the characters get close enough to that, something is going yeah,
0: to happen. Yeah, most likely they'll probably and, die.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the thing that they did, which I really didn't like, was they're like, hey, there's a pit fiend uh, named Lucille who is leading the forces of of Zeriel, uh, and she's got these powerful magic items, a helm of devil command and a battle standard of infernal power, and it's like, ooh, treasure. You know, As soon as you give that, people... Are gonna want that? It's true. It's um, also a um,
0: they're they're hinting at it because, or they're putting it here because they are going to come back to Eltrell at the end to liberate Eltrell.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, so they will see Lucille again, um, and I, but I almost wish they would have just said, "And Lucille's here." The characters will meet her again later, um, because as it is, it's she's, it's just hard to hard to make it work to actually introduce her in a way that they will remember that makes it a valuable meeting um, without just getting slaughtered um so i there should have been a better way to do that
0: i'm I'm pretty much with you yeah i I can't really think of i mean they're they're like you could try all these things because they have no idea what's going to happen it's it's hard to design something where you have no idea what's going to happen right
1: yeah and i almost would have liked to see kind of a wandering encounters table like like they did when they entered yeah, El Toral, like <laughs> some like here are ten things that could happen if the characters get too close to the the fighting and just make it make it cool rather than than I don't know whatever it was uh, to to fix it like just
0: if just let them know like uh, if they get caught in the middle of this they're probably going to die so it would be sneaky about it and then yep uh, if they're not if they fail at being sneaky about it they lose some resources or something bad happens to them or you know they're they're yeah conscripted or grabbed or whatever but don't don't kill them mm-hmm. cuz that's that's not fun yeah
1: yeah you want to wait you want to you want yeah, to torture, torture, the torture them torture them kill okay. uh
0: all right so that's it that's on level up to level 7 and then you make your way to fort knucklebone which is a 10 mile trek across Averness, which could be longer or shorter i have no idea i've read the next chapter yet
1: but we will and talk about it in our next mm-hmm. episode
0: all right, let's do some Patreon shout-outs. So this is the, the Court of Misdirected Mark. And thank you, everybody, so much for listening, and thank you for being our patrons. Um, Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. Uh, Andrew Dacey, who is our Warden of Whiskies. Andy Olson, who's the Duke of Dice. Uh, Brian Kurtz, who's our Royal Doctor of Physic. Christopher Gray, who's the Spymaster of Misdirected Mark Productions. Eric Bontz, who has, is the only person with two titles, the Duke of Gators and the Lord of Beefness uh gm gerrymander who's the lord of the after show jared rasher who's the scribe of mmp jesse edmund who's our editor and the royal doctor jim likes games who's our royal merchant Uh, john c lemay who's the guard of the end of the world and john carney who is the court necromancer we'll get to the rest of them next time and speaking of patrons if you'd like to be a patron of down with D&D, you can click on the link to our patreon page on the website and for a paltry
1: two dollars a month you can get yourself a shout out Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout out, you also get to see our pre production show notes, and you get access to our misdirected Mark Slack room where you can chat with us. And if you give us even a single dollar, you get our new expanded show, Sneak Attack. Sneak Attack? What is the sneak attack? The Sneak Attack is where we spend another 15 minutes or so talking about some other topic. For example, after this show, we're going to talk more about the class feature variants on Earth Arcana. Player's
0: Handbook 5.5. So I'm calling it from now on. Calling it that. All right. Okay. Get in on that. And, you know, if you can't help us monetarily but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with a a, a podcast review somewhere. Apple Podcast is the best. We love five-star reviews.
1: We do. But if you talk about us on social media, we certainly do appreciate Mm -hmm. that as well. So, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or at the Misdirected Mark forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. How about so you? So, I'm at
0: the light 101 on Twitter. Uh, also, at Misdirected Mark, me and Sean usually get notified of those comments. So, if you want to hit us up on mm-hmm. Twitter, you can go there. You know, there's a bunch of other ways to get at us and get, get these shows. Like, you can go to the website that's misdirectedmark.com. Mm-hmm. We have a new Twitch channel where there's some stuff going on there. If you like actual play or the Mr. Mark podcast, maybe we'll put Down with D&D on there at some point. We're still figuring that out. Um, Mm -hmm. If you want to hear the show on YouTube, like if you're a YouTube fan, you can pick up the show there these days. And you can catch other great shows in any of those places, such as The Lounge, where uh, Doc Palindrome, our editor, he's also a host of our interview show. He finds the best, the brightest, and the most fun game designers to have really fun conversations with them. And you never know what's going to happen on an episode in The Lounge. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Down with d is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded mm-hmm. Design. So what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill some skeletal minotaurs. Yeah, because there's lots of them. Get down
0: with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with d and